podcast for the bookish, the queer, and the grossly ostentatious. I'm Julie Jester, the chaotic bisexual horse of TikTok known as plant-based bird girl and holder of a great secret, which is what today's episode is going to be about. And I'm Ellie Rudy. I'm a journalist covering the LGBTQ plus community, and I have no idea what Julie's <laughs> going to talk about today. And I don't have my own segment prepared um, because from here on out, we're going to be trading off every other week because your girls are busy. They're busy. They're busy, and they're they're taking their worlds by storm. Well, anyway, to to clue you into what's happening, this episode is for the money gaze the secret societies, and Robert Fennick. Who is he? Someone I stalked on the internet for an hour today. Why? Find out soon. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I really have no idea what's happening. Like, even just from that little, like, teaser, I really couldn't, I have no guesses. No guesses. No No. guesses. Um, I had the most thrilling time doing this research. And I'm just I'm just excited to jump in. So um, I moved to Brooklyn this week. I'm uh, we're Brooklyn girlies now, the both of us. I'm a New Yorker. Uh, that was the worst thing I've ever said. Um, I've heard worse, Julie. <laughs> Far worse has come out of your mouth. <laughs> Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> yeah, baby. And I was like, I want to do something that has to do with gay New York. But I was like, what kind of gay New York? Because New York has a lot of gay in it here and there. Um, So I wanted to do a little, I was like, you know what? I want to find out about a gay secret society. So I literally Googled gay secret society. And where did that take me to? Wall Street. (laughs) I love love that so much. So I also I for those of you who don't know, I am smoking weed right now. So I am probably going to find this episode like mind boggling, <laughs> really hilarious. Like I'm about to be a really good audience. It's for really exciting. It's really I'm I'm so thrilled. Um, and I here's what I will say. I have a lot of words in front of me. There's a lot of article and there's a lot of notes that I took. And I am hoping that it comes out organized. But also, I am definitely having a pro-dyslexia day. So (laughs) we're all just going to get through this together as Ellie is high out of her mind and I can't read. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm glad we have an audience for this. (laughs) For some reason, people choose to listen to this podcast. I know. I know. I get such nice messages about this podcast and I'm like... Why? I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> you, I'm like, you knew what we were saying? We didn't know what we were saying. <laughs> okay, okay. Dang. Are you going to tell me the topic or are you going to just start talking I, and well, hope that I'm I get gonna it? I'm just going to start talking because it is multiple things. There's okay. we, we get into New York Society's gay Wall Street high school cliques. We get into the don't ask, don't tell policy a little bit. Fire Island. It's We're covering a lot of things. Honestly, um, the main, I would say the main, focus of this 
episode is this one specific article I found that was written in 1999, literally 24 years ago. And it is so fascinating to read through it, look at these chunks of text, listen to this author's voice talking about queer issues and having such a similar voice to the way we talk about them now. While, you know, also we've come forth with so many strides and so many things, there's still so much like embarrassment for the generation before us and embarrassment for their generation before them that I'm like, we really are just always embarrassed. So this article, I think I think my issue is that I don't get embarrassed. So and I have no shame (laughs) and I think it would be better for everyone if I did. No, I'm not saying you're embarrassed of yourself. I'm saying we're embarrassed of the people like around us and the people who came before us. Like, how are we not further along than this? Mm -hmm. Understood. Okay. Um, So this is an article called Wall Street Secret Society. Um, I will be taking you through some of my favorite parts of the article. And then also I provided some research to some other things, including my favorite research topic, who is Robert Fennick. Um, But am I supposed to know who that is? No, he's literally just a guy. He's literally a man. He could be like just your dad's pal. Okay. Um, And now he's like, he's my new like hyper fixation. Like, do we like him? Yeah, like, bro, oh, we okay, like him. Okay. We like okay, him. Good. I mean, honestly, you'll find out. You'll find out. Okay. So, okay. this article starts, and I'm going to give you a little dramatic reading of this first part. Okay. Joe Daniels' salary had just broken the six-figure mark, and he had just received a promotion to vice president, but something was about to sink his career on Wall Street. He couldn't bring himself to lie. It was Monday in late June, and Daniel had reported for work at securities division of Dresdner Bank, Germany's second largest. When a colleague remarked on his suntan, Daniel explained that he had spent the weekend at his beach house. Where's your rental? asked his co-worker. For most of his colleagues, the question would have been an innocuous one. For Daniel, it posted a dangerous dilemma. A quiet, button-down executive with a master's degree from both Harvard and Yale, Daniel was hardly an activist. Like most other gays on Wall Street, he had lived a strictly closeted existence at work. In the past, he would have constructed a plausible cover, a particular Hampton that he could bluff some knowledge about, the name of a fashionable restaurant or two. But after four years at the firm, he was tiring of the charade. His beach house was on Fire Island, he replied. (laughs) At the Pines. His colleague looked stunned. Daniel had just outed himself. So Daniel tells him that his beach house is on Fire Island. Now, here is a cute little brief history of Fire Island. This is I don't even know if this qualifies as a brief history, but um, (laughs) Fire Island is uh, legitimately an island. And it is beneath like it is south of the strip of land that starts out as Brooklyn, where Ellie and I Brooklyn is what I just said, starts out as Brooklyn, where Ellie and I are now and then kind of morphs into Long Island, which is where Pete Davidson's from. Ugh, love Pete Ellie, Davidson. What are your feel- yeah, what are your feelings on Pete Davidson? Would you date him? Yes. One hundred percent. One. He is my type. He is tall and skinny and ill looking, <laughs> which is what I look for in a partner. Really? I, I, 
like I know everyone's like everyone dates Pete Davidson, but I'm like, why I like why haven't I yet then? What what does a girl have to do? Because it seems like it's not that hard. I'm very pro. I know people have <laughs> thoughts. Love him. Love the guy. Love my, him. To death. No, so here's why I love Pete Davidson, because all of my straight male friends are so mad about him. They just don't get the appeal. They don't get how he's like dated women like Ariana Grande and Kim Kardashian. They're so pissed off about it. And I love Pete Davidson and just for that reason like would i date him maybe but do i love him for the grind absolutely i would i would date him i would i would date him i would have his children i would i would let him divorce me like i yeah very yeah. pro p davidson for sure for sure well, all right. So we're on we're on Fire Island. Take where Pete Davidson was born. Uh, take where Ellie and I are now. Divide it by two. Go a little south. You're on Fire Island, baby. It's always had LGBTQ roots, um, starting with Oscar Wilde having visited there. Oscar Wilde has shown up in so much of our little history bits. Uh, he's just everywhere. He's all over it. Like, not only is he a gay icon, he's just like omniscient. He's omnipresent. Um, and then Cherry Grove developed on Fire Island, which is known as America's first gay and lesbian town, which, uh, Ellie, it's a two hour drive from here. Liz on the road. Liz. On okay, well, you can drive because I can't. We so. can't. Well, we can't drive, but I figured we could like lift to a bus and take the bus to another lift or something. Let's do it. I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> I know. I'm a feeling about to sneeze as well. But I feel like now that I've said it, she's gone. Now we're twins. Anyway, um, in a National Park Service article, they talked about how Cherry Grove was a place where LGBTQ people were free to be themselves. And early LGBTQ residents and visitors experimented with theater and art in ways that would actively shape and define LGBTQ cultures for decades to come. So basically, if you say that I'm a I'm a friend of Fire Island. You are just being like, yep, I'm gay. You're pointing the big, the big old lights of gay at you in case you didn't know um, about Fire Island. Anyway, so then the next part of this article where they're, ta they're talking about how Daniel was set up for a huge promotion. And this... This lie, this is also homoerotic to me. Honestly, my images of like Wall Street back in the day are so homoerotic. Until then, Daniel's career had been proceeding according to plan. His boss complimented him regularly on his work, and Daniel says rewarded him with a big promotion a few days earlier. The firm had printed new business cards and stationery and even fabricated a new signboard for the door of his office. A memo announcing his new position was distributed to all departments. There's literally so many love languages happening in that paragraph. <laughs> there's words of affirmation. There's gift giving. There's acts of service. And then there's just like generally showing him off as the firm's good boyfriend. Goals. But yeah, goals, right? But because of him saying that he uh, beach housed in Fire Island, the office just like became a hush about our boy Daniel. And eventually it was like, we never heard of that promotion. We don't know what you're talking about. Even though, as I had just read, they were like, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeet. Yeah, yeah, yeet. This is our boy Daniel. He's going to be the, the next big money person. So Daniel's boss was a guy named George Fuglesong. 
Wait, uh, big money person, and what was the other one? Lonely love ladies. Lo- <laughs> um, weird tortured love lady. Yes, those are those two are two bands that go on tour together. Those, those are the two genders. <laughs> <laughs> yes, gender yeah. is binary, and it's those two. Yep. Um. So the the article describes George Fuglesong. Uh, he had apparently in the past made a lot of crude anti-gay jokes, as everyone in this time was doing and has. And like he before, any I, like, of- I like how you said crude anti-gay jokes. Like there are also tasteful ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think now we're at a point where there's a ta- there's a tasteful anti-gay joke, but it, I think it has to be made by a gay. Um, and that's the only way that it's tasteful. But he, so he had become more careful about his language before this whole thing went down with Daniel, but clearly he was still uncomfortable with, um, with Daniel's queerness, Daniel's gayness. They they probably wouldn't even said queer back then. Queer used to be a bad word. Um, as was gay, as was ya ya yeet. Um, (laughs) and I wrote on here, actions speak louder than words, people. I would rather you make fun of my gayness and give me money than be politically correct about my gayness and fire me. Um, you know? Yeah, that's... So... (laughs) So even though Daniel had assumed duties, Daniel had assumed the position, they never got around to signing these papers. Uh, Instead, he was just kind of put into this workplace purgatory. Uh, A year goes by. A year goes by and our boy Daniel gets angry and he gets a little feisty. He gets like Ellie Rudy after one and a half drinks. Uh, He... He approaches uh, Dresner's personal department, asking whether the firm could extend could extend the same health benefits to the domestic partners of gay employees that it provided to the spouses of straight ones. A few days later, he was laid off for abrupt downsizing of his department. Daniel was the only person fired. So he just basically walked up to HR and was like, hey, could my boyfriend get the same benefits as these straight people? And they were like, you're fired. Yeah, that's that's not great. It's not cute and it's not good. Um, And that was something else that I was reading about in the article. People were lamenting how men with wives and men with girlfriends were often up for greater bonuses, greater promotions. I mean, it's a classic case of that white privilege thing, but it's just like the people in power saw those people reflected in them. So they wanted to give those people a leg up asking for a bonus for your boyfriend or even asking for a bonus as a woman or a person of color was just like a totally different ball game so daniel daniel knew that he was he was stirring stirring the pot oh yeah and then something else really interesting that i read was um because you know in in money everyone moves around a lot there's always markets to check out places to go when men would get moved to new markets if they had told the firm they have a wife or a girlfriend there would be accommodations made for them to like move the wife and the girlfriend with them on the company's dime. But then queer folk, gay people who were talking in this um, article about their experiences with that, they were like, well, I can't be out or else I could lose my job or else I could not get as much of a promotion. So then I end up meeting someone and being, you know, like interested in them, starting to go on first dates and whatnot. And then I get reassigned to somewhere else and I don't even have the option 
to, to take my partner with, with me. Yeah. yeah. And so then for as a queer person, that means you're not just like starting over in a new city. You're starting over on your whole coming out journey. Because like by the time you've gotten to the place where you've met someone and are comfortable enough to like try to see them or go on a date, um, especially in the 1990s. It's like yeah. that yeah, you're just back to a such a such a base of square one. Right. So, um <laughs> I wrote here, I let the record show the first time I wrote Fire Island, I spelled it E Y E land. Um we're going to I land. <laughs> so Daniel is unemployed. He's laid off from this job. He's basically blackballed in all of Wall Street because it's like nobody wants to talk to the gay. And so what does he do? He sues Dresner Bank for $75 million. Is he a Capricorn? (laughs) And even more interesting, this is Wall Street's first gay discrimination lawsuit ever. So that's like kind of one of the topics of today's episode is Wall Street's first gay discrimination lawsuit ever wow and so he was uh he was suing them under a new york city statute that outlaws sexual president prejudice okay um but at this time wall street was sort of using the don't ask don't tell policy sort of unwritten which they were like that's how the gays can prosper and we don't have to hear about it but meanwhile there are first person stories from from women in this article queer women talking about how they would watch as on on males birthdays in the office they would get sent to stripper and like just you know don't ask don't tell we don't want to know about your sex life but we're just gonna like show you a woman gyrating on this man you sit next to oh my god my leg is so asleep in this fort (laughs) wake up wake up leg oh did i just cut off every piece of circulation i ever had what if i just lost what if i just lost my leg to this podcast i literally can't feel it well liz Liz, baby all right i can start to feel my toes again that's cute so um but the way that they went about suing it because the 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 wall wall street people had this thing where when you work for them you sign an agreement saying you won't sue the company but if you have like a matter that you want to take up it'll be processed through internal affairs but our boy Daniel went around that by suing the bank that owns it, like the foreign bank, the Germany, like actually going to the root Whoa. of the place um, and suing them instead of just suing the firm where he worked at. But isn't him. it isn't it silly that in like 1999 Wall Street era, it's like sex, money, America, mm-hmm. but we're answering to foreign banks like that's not sex, money, America. That's sex, money, Yugoslavia. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just- am I right? Like- <laughs> Am I right, ladies? Dresner. I heard that. <laughs> um, Dresner was owned by Germany, as I have previously stated, but I really just wanted to say sex, love, and Yugoslavia, and maybe that should be the title of this episode. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah. Even though Yugoslavia has no one, nothing to do with it. So while no one, knows, like, no one knows what's going to happen with this case, but it's causing an absolute buzz all of the gay employees are rethinking their treatment all of the straight employees are rethinking their gays uh literally all of these big corporations are like fuck are we about to get sued too i think we did some gay discrimination here and there 
You think? Uh, yeah, you think? Maybe. So then um, I'm just going to read you through. This is literally my favorite part of the article. I want you to imagine it as I read it mockumentary style, sort of like each of these people were pulled aside in an episode of The Office and asked, okay. do you have any gay co-workers? Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So this is 24 years ago. How many gays and lesbians are there on Wall Street? James J. Kramer, the seemingly omnipresent and omniscient head fudge manager, can't name any. Jessica Reef Cohen, the top-ranked analyst of entertainment and media stocks, doesn't know any gays at her firm. Merrill Lynch, which has nearly 10,000 employees in New York City alone, within broader community of research analysts, there's only one person I even think is gay, she adds. And that's like her assuming someone's gay. No one's come out to her. She adds, uh, a middle-aged guy who supposedly lives with his mother, a fact that has provoked gossip at the firm because almost everyone else is married with children. Elizabeth Goldstein, who recently left Bankers Trust after six years as a star on the trading desk, said, I can't think of anyone. I'm sure they exist, (laughs) but it's very, very, very quiet. When a trader talks about attending a lesbian wedding, she recalls people's mouths were wide open. It was totally foreign to their experience. And like... Look at look at how far we've come, you know, like it's, you know, coming out is still a huge thing. And 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 queerness is still, you know, fighting for its life a lot of the time. But like this is nuts to think about that. People were just like, I think there might be a gay somewhere here. (laughs) Maybe Um, Uh, it's like this. It's like this reporter is Billy on the street when Billy runs up to people and he's like, name a woman. (laughs) But instead, this journalist is like, name a gay. And they can't. They were like, I'm gagged. They're like, none. They're like, a what? A what? (laughs) A what? Uh, I'm sure there's one in the shed. I'm sure there's one. (laughs) There's one laying around. You have to keep one around at least for some sort of law. Um... So, so then this uh, this journalist writes so iconically, welcome to the turn of the century, Wall Street, in a city where openly gay professionals are commonplace in such industries as media, advertising, and law. Wall Street remains a notable exception, one where the prevailing mindset seems more characteristic of 1959 than 1999. You know, it's like... I feel like we hear that stuff all the time. Is this 2024 or is this 1924? That kind of thing. I guess we're in 2023. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I also think that we should do a... Uh, I think that we should do an episode on the don't ask, don't tell policy eventually. Yeah, definitely. Um, let me... So here... So, so. So. Here we get to the sneaky gaze. Here we go. The gays are the, well. The gays are spies. The gays are spies. The True. gays are all over the place. They're sneaking. They're snooping. They're hidden in plain sight. So they founded a secret gay club on Wall Street called the New York Bankers Group. At the time that it was written in this article in 1999, it had 300 members of queers. All of them a complete secret. I mean, six of the eight board members of that group were not openly homosexual and not even the president was willing to be identified for the purposes of this article like it is that exclusive um the mailing list when they tell people where they're going to do these events uh was always addressed to mr and mrs last name of the person because a lot of the people were faking being married um so it's like 
it's secret, it's sneaky, I'm fascinated. Uh, but they, they talk about how at these events that they would go to, it wasn't like gay cruising. It was just gay people trying to keep their jobs. So they would, you know, go to these meetings and be like, oh, you're a gay at my office? Oh my God, thank God. Um, and they would trade business cards and they would, you know, swap war stories. It was just kind of a really beautiful and communal thing and something that you don't think about a lot associated with extremely masculine macho strippers at lunch wall street and so some of the stories that came out of that one man came to work and discovered the word faggot ma- magic markered on his office wall another found- yeah mm-hmm and then, well, so this is, this one really makes me think. Another one found nude pictures from a gay magazine glued to his computer. But, like, that means that the straight employee who did that to him right? had to buy a nude <laughs> gay magazine, <laughs> cut it out, and then, yeah. like, take the time to, like, you too are staring at those dongs, sir. Yes. The and it got crafty. Yeah, it got crafty. As always in these stories, it gets it gets real it gets real crafty. So <laughs> so speaking of getting crafty, here's more ways that the gays uh, would hide from this. Um, one gay male couple had their woman record their home answering machine message for them, which the author described as a breathless home message. So did they literally have their friend be like? You have reached the Turner residence. No one they is just hired, available They just right hired now. Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but like a very turned right on now. Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. And then another, uh, another queer employee, and I'm sure many other queer employees, would use pictures of their friends' kids to decorate their desk. But like, could you imagine? It, uh, like, could you imagine how isolating that must feel? Yeah. In such a like a dark work environment where you're already hiding so much you look on your desk which is like the one piece of solace personality that you have and you're just looking at some random children i mean maybe you really like your friend's kids or maybe as a powerful secret wall street money gay you really don't right but yeah, um, so then our author writes, not surprisingly, fear and paranoia persuade all but the boldest gays to, and lesbians to conceal their private lives. And the I only boldest. included that quote because I wanted to ask if we should rechange the name of the podcast to the boldest gays. To the boldest gays. <laughs> yeah. oh. It's 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 up there. <laughs> it's up there. Um, another really interesting story that came out of this. Maybe, maybe wait, maybe that's our that's our podcast drag name boldest gay the boldest gays the boldest liz is the boldest gay we love her um one of my favorite stories to come out of this article two men founded a new brokerage firm together and they worked together for like a decade before knowing that they were each both gay because that's how hidden it is like that is how you can't even tell the people that you work the most closely with for years. And also, I think it should be a major motion picture, the story of those gays who worked together not knowing that the other person was gay. Who had horrible yeah. gaydars. Yeah, <laughs> who had terrible gaydars. Well, it's just, you know, it's so so uh, uptight and... 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 Bleh, and, and, and... I don't know. Suit jacket. Hair. Hair. 
hair thing. Yes. So the culture <laughs> of Wall Street is is also just turning increasingly rabid. I mean, you have all of this money, all of these people, all of these uh, uh, macho, macho people hanging out. And, and it no longer is what is described as the gentleman bankers of an early generation. Because in the old days of Wall Street money and in the story where those two men started the firm together, it was so much less insane it was just like we're gonna go to work everyone's gonna put their head down and make money and then suddenly now you know you can imagine the cocaine and the strippers and the whatnot um but yeah so this line the gentlemen bankers of an earlier generation were shoved aside by swinging dicks so big they even made tom of finland's look modest so i had to look up that's who tom of finland is tom of finland is an artist who made the most daddy drawings like daddy they're all super buff cops wearing leather pants so tight you can like perfectly see their outlined penis and it's like huge so if you're into men and are looking for some really horny art uh please look up tom of finland um, i'm looking it up right now as you yes. speak <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah that is what that is that is what that is that's our that's tommy of finland so wow, okay. yeah. taking, <laughs> taking a slightly more solemn turn, imagine sort of the AIDS crisis had and what that changes here. And I think the most devastating part that I read was a lot of the folks on Wall Street who actually did die of AIDS, the gay folk of Wall Street who died of AIDS, their deaths were disguised as pneumonia or cancer. Like not even in their death could they live truthfully. Right. Um, yeah. So... Tensions start arising. Um, the the liberal gays of of like the West Village of New York and such are getting real angry, obviously as they should. And the upscale Wall Street fat cat gays are getting real quiet because they're okay, using. <laughs> fat cat gays. You sound like like a 1930s mobster. Like, oh, the fat cat the gays. Fat those cat guys gays. over there. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I hope that's a term that we continue f- to use. The fat cat gay. <laughs> um, so then magazines start coming, uh, and one specifically mentioned here called Out Week, which starts publishing a- about, you know, um, activism, the, helping the AIDS crisis, men's health awareness, all of that. But it also starts publicly outing the wealthy elite. Um, so this is like a hugely morally gray area because people from the smaller side of, of wealth and success are like the successful gays owe it to the the not surviving gays to come out. But then the wealthy gays are like, it is not my like, you don't get to decide when I come out, you know? Right. So there's this guy named John Rett. He's one of Wall Street's fanciest boys. He started a company that was eventually worth $5.4 billion in 1999 money. Um, he's a gay and and uh, private people know it. And like he is the first person to write checks for foundations for like men's health organizations and gay men's health organizations. But he does not want to be publicly out. And people are really like, at this point, what do you have to lose? Five point four 
billion dollars and it was really making me think of the evelyn hugo episode and uh, um and and in that scene in the book where you know all of these these upper class actors were like we can't tank our careers because of our queerness but we're gonna like give them all the money that we have right anyway um so we're gonna we're gonna go to to a tale of of two endings got it there's how the article ends this and here's how i end this okay the article ends this by saying i guess it's true that in the end they buy you this is one of the queer stockbrokers talking they buy your dignity and the worst thing is you happily sell it to them thinking through he remained silent for about a minute until it almost seemed to perk up to him again i guess he said smiling people have sold their self-respect for a lot less than three million dollars a year um yeah because gays would take this money that they were making and then they would uh, donate it to to gay foundations and stuff, which was really cool and really hot. But it's really sad to end on this note of like, I am as a gay person having to sell my self-respect and I don't right. think that it's going to get better. So I'm going to take you to Robert Fennick town, baby. And this is how <laughs> I wrap it up. So I was fascinated by this one uh, person in the story whose name is Robert Fennick. He is literally just a quote in this article. Um, And in his section of the article, it says, in fact, for younger gays, many of whom came out in liberal atmosphere of college only find themselves pushed back into the closet at work. Don't we all experience that? It's so liberal in college. And then we're like, fuck. Uh, The transition can be especially difficult. The anti-gay jokes are common, accepted and almost encouraged, says Robert Fennick, a young Merrill Lynch broker who left the firm in disgust in 1994. When traders make anti-gay jokes, they really do it because they are anti-gay versus just busting on a Brooklyn guy because he has an Italian accent. I don't think the straight community on Wall Street wants you to know you're gay. They don't want to learn how to deal with gay men. I don't see full acceptance in my lifetime, and I'm 31. I was heartbroken by this quote. He said, I don't see full acceptance in my lifetime, and I am 31. This was written in 1999. It is 23 years later, so what do I do? I look up Robert Fennick. He is literally just a guy, um, but he is a gay man who did not think that it was possible for his life to get better. So... I uh, found his Facebook and I found his SoundCloud and I found a lot of things. What? First of all, <laughs> are you gonna murder him? I'm not gonna murder him. I just want to. I just want to like, like Anna's address and his social security and number. His, and I found his social security number. So he has a dog named Janice. I think after Janice Joplin. Uh, he also he also won. <laughs> He also got uh, $600,000 or $800,000 in a settlement with another company, but that wasn't over an anti-gay discrimination lawsuit. It was actually, and I think this is fascinating, over the fact that he started joining Alcoholics Anonymous and they found out because he mentioned it in an email that he sent to his domestic partner, his like his boyfriend or, or whatever, um, and they were like routinely monitoring emails. And though the Wall Street drinking culture is so strong it's like you have to work as hard as you play like you're gonna you're gonna work all day and then down a bunch of shots and go home it was that he was an alcoholics anonymous it was that he was trying to better himself that they didn't like him anymore um and he ended up getting a ton of money from that settlement which is good for him yeah which is like good for robert fennick what i really i really wanted to see is is he openly gay like is he or not, I mean, obviously he said it in this article, but like, what does his life look like now? And his most recent Facebook post is a batch of flowers and the caption says, it seems like someone likes me a lot. 
And he has a whole community of gays who are commenting on his pictures that he comments on the other pictures. I thought I may have found someone who might have been his boyfriend, but it's really hard to tell because all of these gay men call each other baby. So like maybe he's in like a giant couple. But I am just thinking about this one voice who happened to speak up in this article in 1999 saying that he doesn't feel hope for his future. And now he's on Facebook with friends who have rainbow profile pictures. They're 55. Uh, He has a SoundCloud with a song called Part One The Monster Fire Island USA July 31st 1981 and I need to know so much more about that Um, oh my god that's amazing but yeah so so I I just I I got lost sort of in this article this week thinking about all of the Wall Street gays and thinking about what they had to go through and thinking about just what every gay has to go through um and I wanted to find out if it does really get better and if we have been improving and i'd say in robert fennick's case it is getting better yay robert yay robert and now i'm like literally i'm probably gonna look him up again in two weeks just to see if there's anything else about the guy who sent him flowers (laughs) (laughs) like i'm obsessed robert if you're listening please friend julie jester on facebook (laughs) robert hi big fan of your work big fan of your lawsuits (laughs) (laughs) oh let we love you robert so yeah and there's just so much in there that we could get more into out week aids yada yada bada bing shubadoo um and that article that i was uh totally engrossed by was written by alan deutschman dutchman dutch dutchman i don't know exactly how he pronounces it all sounded good to me yeah cool Cool. Well, that is the story of Wall Street's first uh, gay discrimination case um, and everything that was happening around it. You took us for a ride, Julie, and I loved every minute of it. I'm so glad. Um, thanks for thanks for hanging. How do you feel, Ellie? I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> she feels good. I'm living my best life. I have Julie in my ears, in my apartment. Molly's next to me. Things are... Things are on the up and up for old Ellie Rudy. I have a feeling. Yes, they are. My leg is asleep again. I literally She's can't gone. feel my foot. Um, let her rest. Let her rest. Uh, she is, needs her beauty sleep. She does. All right. Well, for Wall Street's podcast, for, for this episode of Liz, I'm Julie Jester. Uh, I need to take a shower and remember money is a state of mind and i'm ellie rudy give money to some gays today (laughs) give money to some gays today we do have a patreon (laughs) love you love you bye this episode of liz was edited and produced by me ellie rudy and co-hosted by the lovely julie jester who is also our head of community outreach if you'd like to support liz please hop on our patreon and join at any level or at the very least you can give us a five star rating and review it really helps tell your dogs doctors and door people about us thank you bye-bye